changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Suzette Martinez-Standring. She is a national newspaper columnist who we're lucky enough to have as one of our writers as well. We're going to talk about becoming a grandparent and how this new generation of parents is doing things a little differently. They have elaborate pregnancy announcements, gender reveal parties, and even make announcements when they're just trying to get pregnant. Suzette, welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Thank you. It's such a delight to be on with you, Amy. Well, I was so pleased to meet you a couple of years ago at the annual conference of the Society of Newspaper Columnists. So let me tell our listeners about you. Suzette is a past president and now executive director of this National Society of Newspaper Columnists. She writes a column for the Patriot Ledger in Massachusetts, and her column is syndicated nationally through Gatehouse Media. She also wrote two award-winning books about writing. In 2014, The Art of Opinion Writing, and in 2008, The Art of Column Writing. And those books are used in journalism courses, such as the one at Johns Hopkins University. Suzette is the host of It's All Right, spelled W-R-I-T-E, with Suzette, which is a cable TV show about writing. She has written several Chicken Soup for the Soul stories, and there's a lot of humor in them which makes sense since one of her many hats is being a humor columnist. She's won many journalism awards, and she's constantly speaking at conferences about writing and journalism. So we're very lucky to have Suzette as part of the Chicken Soup for the Soul family, and we're so glad she came on the podcast today. And we're going to talk about Suzette's two latest Chicken Soup for the Soul stories that are in our new book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Grandparents, It went on sale March 26th, so it's brand new. So, Suzette, let's talk about your first story, which I found very amusing, about how your daughter announced that you were going to possibly, in the future, potentially become a grandmother. (laughs) It is really funny, isn't it? Because... I'm 64, and back in the day, the only announcement that would ever come out is, guess what, everybody? I'm pregnant. But now it seems that when my daughter was pregnant uh, 14 years ago, it was, guess what? We're trying, (laughs) which I thought was, uh, was really comical. And the the story behind that is that when people announce that they're trying, it's, of course, very different from... It's actually happening, and so there's a lot of expectation every single time you talk to that person. And I quickly learned that there's an etiquette involved, which is stop asking about it. (laughs) That makes total sense, unless you're planning a trip or something and you really need to know if there's a due date in your future, you know? Yes, yes. And what's so funny is that when a couple is trying and nothing's happening for a matter of weeks and they start to stretch into months, it becomes very stressful to the couple. And I quickly learned I had to quit asking about it. And when she finally made that announcement that, guess what, it's really happening, this is like nine or ten months later, I was so used to not reacting, not asking, that I couldn't pop my cork. (laughs) We were both like convicts in a prison yard going, 
is it really possible to break out tonight? We really didn't know how to react to the news, either one of us. Mm -hmm. And you said that even when you knew that she was trying, you were wondering, well, am I entitled to go to stores and start buying cute things? Oh, my gosh, you're so right about that. That was another part of the journey for me, because in the beginning, when they first announced, oh, we're trying, I immediately was going out to all the baby departments and fingering all the merchandise and imagining all these things. And then as weeks started to stretch into months, I told myself, I don't really belong here. And I felt that I couldn't keep doing this to myself because it would cause me to put pressure of expectation on my daughter. And so I thought, you know what? Just act like nothing's happening at all. Don't even go to those stores. Don't expose yourself to anything. And so that when she finally did make that announcement, it was, am I really allowed to react now? You know, we had a story in the grandparents' book from another first-time grandmother, and this gets us into the area of how the kids announce pregnancies now to the prospective grandparents. So this woman, daughter handed her what she thought was a flash drive, and so she's looking at this thing, and she's like, how do I get this into my computer? Because it's this long, white plastic thing, and she thinks it's a flash drive, and her daughter just started laughing at her because it was the, you know, EPT pregnancy test or whatever. (laughs) Good thing she didn't insert that. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what else I find so interesting about today's new generation of parents is these gender reveal parties. Have you seen those? I mean, they're crazy, elaborate undertakings. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, now this part wasn't in my story, but the other part that I noticed was that when my daughter actually went into labor, she and her husband packed a knapsack full of things like books, hard candies, CD, DVDs, aromatic massage oil, all this stuff. And I remember thinking, boy, things have really changed because I don't remember bringing all this stuff into a delivery room. Well, in no time at all, it was all kicked under the bed when the hollering started. But Uh it's... But it's funny how there is such a different approach these days. Are these kids going to grow up doing everything for Instagram? Oh, my goodness. The baby bumps and everything else. Yeah. Everything is done for photos, which hopefully there's going to be a big reaction to that. And then they're going to stop doing it because it really gets annoying when everything has to be for Instagram. But you know what, Amy? It's funny. No matter how things have changed, it always comes down to that incredible sensation, that realization like, my God, this is really happening. And, you know, that was kind of at the heart of my story in that I had trained myself not to react, not to ask any questions, to expect absolutely nothing. Who knows how long that would go on, right? And then suddenly, when I was going to the bathroom in Macy's, I happened to pass through the baby section And just unconsciously, I started fingering all the little clothes and the bunny suits and all the rest of it. And it came over me like a ton of bricks. I just started sobbing. I just started crying right there, shoulder bobbing, crying in the baby clothes department, thinking, I really belong here. Finally, after all that waiting. After all that. We're going to come back after the break because we're going to talk about Another thing that's happening a lot these days, which is called boomerang children. We're back 
with Suzette Martinez-Standring, and we're talking about how this next generation of parents is doing the whole telling the grandparents that they're pregnant thing and how different it is from how it was done 20 or 30 years ago. And now we're going to talk about another new trend, which is boomerang children, which I think is actually great. And I wish one of my kids would boomerang back into my house for a while. But I know you had a great situation. And by the way, it's not that the kids necessarily need to boomerang. Sometimes they just do it by choice, which makes the parents the luckiest ones of all. So tell us about what happened with your daughter. Well, in 2004, she became pregnant with her first child. They were living in California. We're here in Massachusetts. And it's funny, all those years, she always wanted to remain in San Francisco. But once she got pregnant, it came over her that she really wanted the child to know her grandparents, and she wanted to live close to us, which thrilled us to no end. And so my husband said, why don't you relocate to Massachusetts, move in with us, get on your feet, and then you can find a place. Now, at that time, little Bella, their brand new baby, was only five months old when they relocated. And it was really so comical because my husband, it's a second marriage for both of us, and my, but my husband never had children from his first marriage. And so everything was brand new. He was excited to have this instant family. He had all these little dreams about how he would be bouncing little Bella on his lap as they watched action movies, blow him up scenes. Who knows what he was thinking. But the funny thing was he had no idea how much equipment and a 20-mule team is required when a baby moves into the house. Yeah, that's really funny. Nobody knows. I remember when I had my first child, I had a tiny little wicker basket filled with his little toys, and I somehow thought that was going to be it. And then he ended up taking over like 1,000 square feet of our apartment. Oh my gosh. And there was an upstairs bedroom that had actually a good size walk-in closet that the kids were going to move into. And my husband said, he saw me starting to clear out another bedroom down the hall. And I told him, this is going to be the nursery. And he said, well, wait, why does a little baby need so much room? Why can't you just put the baby in that closet? In the closet? No. In the closet? No. (laughs) And I had to laugh because he in his mind had no idea about the toys and the layout and the all the kind of stuff that goes into raising a little baby. And it was just so hilarious because it was like he needed triage or something because I kept thinking about all the baby protection that was going to be needed in the house, how we were going to have to get rid of some of the furniture, how things were going to be taken over by yards and yards and miles of toys and all the rest of it. And somehow he thought everything was going to be contained in that little room upstairs. Yeah. We have a lot of stories in this new Chicken Soup for the Soul Grandparents book about grandparents discovering that there's even more stuff these days than there used to be for taking care of a baby. Touring a baby store and being introduced to all this new technology and all these cool things that are must-haves today that none of us had before when we were raising our kids. Oh, you're so right, Amy. Remember when we used to have just the little umbrella strollers that were so portable, and nowadays they have those great big all-terrain strollers now? That's right. Four-wheel drive, the whole works. Well, the whole works. I'm going to put you on the spot now, now that we've finished talking okay. about the experience of being a grandmother, because we are introducing this you know, new book about grandparents. But now I'm going to put you on the spot because I know we have a lot of writers listening to the podcast. 
Can you give us three tips for writing a great newspaper column? Well, I think, number one, you have to have a great idea, something that moves you. You should feel emotionally connected to the subject, because I really believe if you feel it, you can convey it. And probably in that you're doing factual storytelling, much like when you're writing these stories for Chicken Soup for the Soul, but when you're writing a column, it's usually from your first-person perspective. And if you can be brave and factual and vulnerable and emotionally evocative, those are very important, essential components to writing, whether you're writing an essay, a column, or even a story. Your readers have to care about what you are writing about. And one of the most effective ways, aside from subject matter and facts, is that they feel something. And you do that by being vulnerable. I think too many writers write from a distance and when you can make your reader feel something, they're going to stay with you through all 500, 800 words. Yeah. So then the second thing probably would be you cannot exceed your word count. Newspapers only have a set amount of space for that column. That's right. And 500 words can be very, very difficult. It's so much easier to write long than short. But one of the best pieces of advice that I ever received was from this columnist, Bill Timaeus, who said, you have to imagine it like a clothesline. Your story is a clothesline. And if you can cut any kind of words or phrases and the meaning is still retained, then you don't need all that extra stuff. Yeah. I used to write a newspaper column that had a 500-word limit. And that was the hardest part, was making it short enough. Yes. But it was a really good exercise. So you have to write what you're really feeling so that your reader will feel it with you. And you do that by being vulnerable and open and honest. You have to make that word count. So far, your two tips are exactly what we would tell people for Chicken Soup for the Soul Stories also. Give us one more tip. Well, let's see now. I think that being visually descriptive and using active verbs is very, very helpful because I think active verbs are better than just adjectives. People can be very flowery putting in, say, three adjectives per sentence. But if you have a good verb, a strong verb, a descriptive one, that's probably better and it covers a lot more territory than being wordy. You are so right. You know, one of the things I always complain about is when I get a story from somebody and I can tell they just took a creative writing class and they were told, put in colors and describe it. So I'll get a story and they'll say, I got into my red Nissan Sentra with a white stripe and I was wearing my green jacket and that's so boring. I would rather have them say, I got into my car and screeched out of the driveway. Now I'm feeling something. Yes, exactly. And dialogue, if you want to convey somebody's character, their use of words or the way they speak or the slang that you use can denote regionality or culture or character. Dialogue just used very sparingly is a great vehicle also. You are totally right. Good advice for writers and columns and Chicken Soup for the Stole stories and just about anywhere. So Suzette, thank you for joining us today. Where can people learn more about you? I have a website, www.readsuzette.com. That's S-U-Z-E-T-T-E, readsuzette.com. And also, if those people are interested in writing, the National Society of Newspaper Column is having a conference. It's terrific for all writers. That can be found on columnists.com. And I always welcome anyone to contact me. Thank you for joining us today. 
I'm Amy Newmark. Thanks for listening to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast today. Come back for our next episode for more inspiration and life-changing advice. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Google or wherever you like to get podcasts so that you will receive each new episode automatically. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.